In this episode, we're having a conversation with students about academic and classroom culture. Bold and unapologetically real. Let's listen and learn from these amazing students. Also, quick note, Mana couldn't join us to record this discussion, but you will hear her response at the end of the episode in the outro. Let's go. So we're having a conversation about classrooms, cultures, all that good stuff. Jocelyn, to you, do you, do you feel that like a classroom is a culture? I definitely do think it is a culture because every classroom is different. You go in and you determine where you're going to sit. If you think it's going to be a good class or something you're interested in, you're more likely to sit in the front. If it's like math or something that you're not really interested in or you don't really like, you're going to sit in the back. Um, you probably won't be as more talkative and the people in the classroom and the teachers and the students make their own culture because I've had classes where you can cuss in and I've had classes where you barely even talk or nobody really talks besides the professor so everyone in that class makes their own culture right on yeah that's okay so and I I, where we sit I hope that comes up again I want to push on that but Natalie do you want to do you want to jump in on that is classroom a culture? Yeah, I totally agree with Jocelyn about that. Like when you step in the classroom, like you bring your own like cultural beliefs and like dynamic to your own class culture. And depending on like how the professor is, like it's either one of those classes where you feel free or maybe like it's competitive where you can just have that scholarly mindset or maybe it's a mixture of both. Like it depends on what the student and the professor brings to the um, dynamic of the class. Right. And it's so it's, it's really fascinating. This sort of it's a collaboration. Danny, how about you? How are you uh, seeing the classroom as a culture? Do you agree? It's it's kind of what the student brings. It's also what the professor brings. And that's sort of what makes it. It's not only like from both of them, it's like the environment. For example, it also matters what class it is. Like I've seen from my experience, like when we were, when COVID was like a, wasn't like a thing and we were like in person, I was still in high school. And I remember for math class, everyone would sit behind. Nobody wanted to be in front because you were more likely to be called on. Yeah. It was kind of like a spoken word for like harsh, like harder classes. You didn't like want to be seen. You wanted to be like kind of invisible uh, towards the teacher. Uh-huh. But if you're like a scholar, like um, Jocelyn was saying, or Natalie, you want to be in front because you want to be seen. You want to be, you want to talk. So it's like, you are able to like differentiate who is like the scholar and who is like, doesn't want to be seen. So that's like part of the culture. Yeah, totally. I have a, because I'm coming in being an older student and someone who has so much more experience than all the people in my classes. Mm -hmm. And um, before the pandemic, I had a ritual when I would start my class, would go straight up to the teacher, introduce myself and let them know straight off the bat, I'm serious. I'm here to learn. I want to understand what you're teaching me because when I went to school, all the things that I learned in my history classes, just for example, was all lies or wrong. And so I'm coming into these classes and shocked and amazed and pissed off about all the lies that I was taught. And, And basically with a stunned look on my face the entire semester, Um, because I'm learning all these things, and they're horrible things. Um, But I also uh, have severe dyslexia. So I'm an EOPS. So I charge the teacher when I walk in the class and let them know, I need help. I need this. These are the things that I need. And I sit right in front of the teacher, every single class, up front and center, because I'm not messing around. And it helps to block the um so the kids in the back they want to talk or the people in the back they want to talk they want to fuck around or mess around yeah and they don't want to they're not serious um but the people that sit in the front you see that they've taken an interest they lean forward they're very into the conversation that the teacher is is having and and they're you know, they're there for their future. And those are the people that I want to be around because those are the people that I want in my groups so that I don't have to do all the work for all the group things, because that seems to be coming in as an older student. What happens when I get put into groups, I end up becoming a parent and making (laughs) everybody do their stuff. I have four kids already. I don't need two more. I'm good. You know, I'll wait until I'm a professor and then I'll get all my more kids. That's fine. But um, 
going in, it's really annoying because, you know, I know who's going to mess around the people in the back. And I know that that's not where I want to be because not only are they distracting to me because I already has have all these problems that I'm facing. I mean, I have to put color coded things over my textbooks so that I can actually read things and it stays in my brain. Same thing. I have covers that go over my, um, laptops and stuff just so that I can process the information. And so um, when I get in there, I, I know who to look for because you know that culture, that classroom culture. I know who I want to sit with one and I want that teacher to take me seriously. And so I not only do I sit in the front, but I go to as many office hours as possible because that teacher will remember me when they're grading my stuff that I'm in engaged. I'm serious. And I want to learn this stuff because I plan to teach it myself. So it makes it all that much more valuable to me. Right on. So you're not, you're not going to wait for a classroom culture to accommodate. You you go in there and you assert a value system and you place yourself. Yeah, Yeah. I feel like that is literally the only way to, um, Not only, I I don't care about being a leader per se. I want to get my money's worth. I'm paying for this, even if the state is paying for this. Uh, This is not a joke. This is not like state, high school, elementary, uh, junior high. No, this is college. This is for my future and my children's future. And you're not going to stand in my way because your parents are paying for this and you don't care about what you're doing. Absolutely. I agree with that because, and and I have to say, especially in an online environment, um, that's especially important because so most of my classes, like I'm taking five classes and only one of them do I actually get to see my professor and that's for an hour and 15 minutes a, a week. And so being able to have that communication with your professor in all those other classes and having those responses, you know, is really, really important. And also having your concerns taken seriously. Um, you know, as I said, you know, I'm in all these different groups and all these things, but that brought me there because of a bad culture in a classroom <laughs> and like where I was not taken seriously, where I, I voiced a very clear concern. I explained myself and I was looked over. And as a matter of fact, and like the, the, the message that I received back, after I wrote a long detailed email to the professor and what I received back was read the comments I gave you. <laughs> oh, I was, I was, I was, I was done. I was done after, <laughs> after that. And so that got me on the path. I said, oh, wait, uh, after I spoke to the chair, I said, oh, well, what group do I have to join to be a part of this? And then this and this and this. I said, oh, okay, I'm on top of that. And that, <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, culture definitely is, uh, or, you know, is what you, what you make it um, for, for the classroom. Because it was curious as the topic came up, I was curious to uh, hear from people like what they thought if you create the culture or if it was something that the professors um, created. And it definitely is the combination. It's in your power. It's in your power to uh, facilitate and be your own. What's the word? Advocate. Advocate. Yes, Yes. absolutely. You have to advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. I understand that these kids are young or or these students are young and they're coming in fresh out of high school and they don't have it lived. And I feel like I have lived such an aggressive, crazy life that I don't wait. I don't think that we should wait. And I don't have time to wait. I'm 46. I don't got a lot of time, which is why I'm looking for a program where I can do my master's and my PhD at the same time. So it's really hard, but you know, I, it's worth it. Your future. 140 yeah. grand to be a freaking professor, yo. It's That's worth- right. And and I got to jump in because Nani, I remember having that conversation with you when you told me you're serious and, and this is what you expect from me. And what I would argue is like, that is a disruption of the culture, right? The academic culture. It's usually students to be passive and quiet and not challenge. Um, but what I'm hearing in this room so far is these folks aren't about that, right? Like you you want to be a part of co-creating the culture that is best for us to learn and, and succeed and move forward in whatever we're doing. I do wanna hear from Cam and Jose if, if, if you wanna jump in on um, if you think the classroom is a culture. And then I wanna talk about how the ACE programs in particular might be a, a, a disrupting agent 
in in this uh, larger academic culture. But first, Cam and Jose, if you want to jump in. Um, yeah, so I went to a Catholic school from like kindergarten until eighth grade. So if you didn't get if you weren't respecting your teachers, if you even if they didn't deserve your respect, then you weren't going to get a good grade in the class. You weren't going to get anywhere. So jumping from that into a public high school, I was a very passive student and I would kind of just do as I was told, which didn't help. And it like ran me into the ground and I would do all these things just to please um, my teachers. But now that I'm in college, I get to actually experience like, if you need something, they're there to help you, especially with like, I'm in the mono program right now. Like everyone there is just very welcoming in there. They're to make you feel at home and like make you feel comfortable in your schooling. Thanks, Cam. Uh, thank you for sharing about that. Cause I think that you hit on a really great point and it's um, about like who gets to set the tone for the class. And, you know, I come from a background where I've been in EOPS um, and I also now in the last uh, year and this year, I became a DSPS, a Disabled Students uh, Programming Services participant. And I am a current Uprise participant. So um, I really am, I guess, supported and empowered through ACE programs. Um, fully and like 100% buy into them. And I totally get the value out of them from, from the counseling session that we have with those, you know, with each one of those individual programs, all the way to the classroom experience. And I do think that there are, uh, there are definitely cultures and even subcultures that arise in classrooms, but they are, those subcultures are actually stemming from the larger institution. And so there's a stat, there seems to be a status quo on college campuses where even the professors are finding where they fit inside of that culture. And then they bring that larger culture into the classroom. And then the, there's a, sometimes like a back and forth, right? It's kind of like a tennis match. And sometimes it moves really, really fast. And sometimes it just kind of progresses slowly and it just starts to emerge. I do have to push back on something. And it's interesting because I'm also an older returning student and I, and I completely get that there's a different experience, often a different experience that an older returning student has in the, inside of a classroom. And I think that's part of a cult, the larger culture of uh, higher ed institutions. However, I also think that that same assumption or that same, I don't know how to say it, like being discounted as an older re returning student, not getting the attention or the uh, level of um, educational focus that maybe younger students get, like that same thing can happen with older re returning students when we're, when we don't realize that everyone is an individual and everyone brings something unique to the table. Because I've honestly learned so much from some of these younger students from their, from their work ethic, from their just commitment to their classes and to their peers. And I think that it's very easy to assume that just because they're younger, that they're not as committed as you are, or they're not as serious, or they're not. And, and, I, and I think that actually speaks to culture. That actually speaks, speaks to the own, your own subculture, which you're bringing into the mix. And then I guess, blending with the other cultures to create that ultimate classroom culture. You know, and along those lines, the, the, the topic of an environment came up earlier and kind of where we sit. And it seems to me that there's so many reasons why we sit where we sit in a classroom. And, and, and so the phenomenon of like, or the assumption that you got the A plus students in the front row and you got the folks in the back who just want to hide. But there's another choice or decision making process involved there. And I think it's you got students who whose goal is to not only obviously succeed in college, but meet a friend group, meet, meet a place to network. And so sitting and having a space in the class where it's a bit more noisy can benefit a learning process. Whereas also having a space in the class that's a little more quiet, where students whose preference is to focus, that also is, so there's these kinds of subcultures too. So I wonder if any of us can, can kind of speak to those experiences of, actually it helps me to be around other students who speak out, even when the professor's talking because 
it keeps me awake. It keeps me energized. It keeps me engaged. We have, does anybody have those experiences or? Oh, I do that Absolutely. all the time. Huh, Sean? Oh, so bad. I'm so <laughs> bad with interrupting him all the time. And if we were in his class, I would definitely be in the front row interrupting him all the time uh, physically. So, um, but I also had some strange experiences with that being an older student, um, being in the front row too. I had a professor um, my second semester and she would constantly call me out when she would talk about stuff that happened a long time ago. Um, which was a little like ageism happening. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean, Nani? Or you know what I mean, Helen? And she knows what I'm talking about, right? A lot of that happening. And I thought it was funny. I just thought that that's hysterical. Yeah, sure. I ex- exactly know what you think. But the people around me were incredibly offended for me. Mm-hmm. And coming from a place where, you know, I haven't been in a classroom in 27 years. And when I was in the classroom, I was a stoner. Of course, I was in the back. Of course, I <laughs> didn't listen. And of course, I talked and laughed and was terrible. So I've already been in the back of the classroom, but now I'm paying for a class. So I'm in the front and I have more things um, worth, you know, uh, more stuff on the line. So I, just um, not naming any names, obviously, um, because um, it was a really hard class and I actually got a C in it because I accidentally, it wasn't a 100 class. It was a 101 class and I didn't know there was a difference. So I ended up getting a C, which is the worst grade I've ever gotten, but the only C I've ever gotten, thank God, in uh, college. But um, it was very challenging and that they were so upset. I thought, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I not so upset? Why didn't, Why doesn't this bother me? Um, so much, but then it made me think, okay, well, I'll just remember this because I'm going to be a professor and I'm not going to do that to my students when they're older and they're in my class, they might understand and get my references, but I don't need to call them out on it. It's not necessary, which, uh, which I didn't know. So, you know, live and learn. I got a little offended when you said that story, I was like, so I was next to you, Helen, cause I would also sit in the front row. I would like mind your own business. Because it's like, I've seen like, when I was in high school, I went to, uh, it was a lot of white people were in my class. And because they, they had the liberty to stand up whenever they felt like they wanted to. And I'm very much, I do the halo effect where I'm really nice to the teacher, unless the teacher says something that I don't agree with. Uh, But I will never become mean because it's like, Everyone has their like own life, so I kind of like comprehend that. I don't kind of, I comprehend that. I seen. <laughs> um, so I always saw like these students always like talking bad to teachers, and I would be like, and it's so sad to see like when teachers like kind of like point out at someone who is like different. Um, it really upsets me. I get really angry. I was like, I play. I'm a rugby player, so I didn't look like this girly. I was like short hair up to here, no makeup, all black, sitting like this, but on the front row, cause I like, I wanted to learn, but I, I just bad mood. It's just teachers, it's very different. I can tell you that college teachers to like high school teachers, high school teachers, I feel like some of them don't have as much passion as like college teachers. Well, from what I've seen, I had great teachers and I was really lucky, but it was like that disrespect. Like I can see now high school, like students were more disrespectful towards teachers it's just a level of respect like if I was like like Helen I see her like as a colleague even though we have like different like our ages are completely different because I know she's like so smart and she and she knows more than I do when it comes to life like she has experience so it's like it's just like I don't know school is weird because it could be a long topic it's like weird college it's like you have so many people so many different like ages and then you just put them all together in a classroom and it's like do you want to succeed the que- that's like the biggest question mark and that's why it's like hard to choose where you want to sit <laughs> yeah well, i think we talked about that in our last class on huh? we're saying like this is a weird thing that to to bring all these different people together and say we're all going to try to do this one thing <laughs> when when everybody's so different and that's i think that's why we're having this conversation do you have some thoughts on that, Natalie, about these seating arrangements and, and that as a reflection of the culture in the classroom? 
Yeah, like um, I can personally relate because I like to sit in the front, like in high school and before that I was, I was always like a really shy student. And I mean, I think I had like a lot to say, but I was always like second guessing if people would judge me because like I had a similar experience um, where like students were kind of rude to the teachers in high school and the teachers tolerated that. But in like college, I think there's more like a mutual respect between the students, like regardless of their age and um, the professor. At least that, that's what I've experienced. But yeah, like I usually try to sit in the front. I like to bring everyone together, like even if like they're the slacker or the nerd or just someone who's looking for like a friend or like ally during college, like I just want to bring everyone together. So like that's why I sit in the front. Well, I, I definitely sit in the front. I try to get there early so I can make sure I get to the front. Um, kind of like partly because of what Nani was saying. Like, you know, I swear, like, listen, like, I'm I'm a bit older and like I'm I'm here. I want to learn <laughs> and like I want to try to do this and get out and um, be, you know be on my way. And but you know I also want to be able to like pay attention and then also you know be in the right cohort of people that you can work with and and because eventually you know you're going to need to work with other people. Um, and and I think that does define um sitting where you sit does define the culture um in the room because you tend to find like-minded people sitting in the same area for what you know for whatever reason um hopefully it's you know uh, for their benefit yeah i want to say something about that like sitting in the back because i you know my experience in classes has differed greatly and i i do have to say that that right like we all i think in this group especially that we're um there's there's a high <laughs> a high number of us who are really uh, high achievers and like leaders in our own right and and i appreciate that and um at the same time just looking back on my experience i can see how in some classes i've purposely sat myself in the back to be social to create those connections because that's what kept me in the class and i think that had i not done that I wouldn't have found the support that I needed, like the academic support. Yes, because sometimes you learn better from your peers, but also like the social support, like that social network that you that is often like it's not something that you're being taught directly. Right. Like it's a byproduct of going to college or going to university. It's a byproduct of the college experience is to learn from others to how to be social how to work in groups as a theater major i think that's huge because if you can't if you don't know how to work with people all ages all backgrounds you're really not going to get hired you're not going to be asked to be in another show or you're not going to even get get to work with people and then on the flip side i have sat in the front on you know i have i deal with adhd and I know myself at times where I'm like, you know what, I need to sit in the front for this class. This is like a super challenging class for me. And I actually need to like block away all those, all those distractions. And I've found myself when I need that social, that social interaction, like <laughs> kind of gravitating to the, toward the back or like maybe even being on my phone more than that, more than I'd want to be if I was like a lot more focused I realized that I could get more done, but at the same time, I need that break, like that mental break after maybe like three classes or whatever it is. So just, a, just an interesting topic that we're, that we're talking about is that how our cultures emerge within the classroom and what we bring to the classroom. I also think that we bring a certain, we also have like a, our own culture that we're from. And like, I, you know, not, not, not saying that like all cultures are monolithic, you know, I'm a, I'm a, Latinx student and with with uh, culture that I came from, which is stems from my family and my mom, my mom was an educator as well in Mexico and that she like instilled in me like you, you're always respectful to your teachers, you're always, you know, you're always kind to your teachers, you don't talk back. And that was not obviously always the case because there was still times where I, I felt like I needed to speak up. But if you like went to my cousins or you know other other people within the Latinx community, that might not have been the case. And I think that that your socioeconomic background, your your parents' educational background, all of those things have something to do with how you walk into the space and how you assert yourself. I think that the professors, like in high school. You know, I, I was really shocked what Danny was saying, where um, 
a lot of her classmates were disrespectful to her teachers. When I went to school, that was unheard of. You didn't talk back to your teacher. That was like ridiculous. Like, who do you think you are type of thing? And um, when I got to college, after all these years of not, I walked in with the exact same mentality. This is a teacher. They deserve my respect. They're a professor. They're uh, at the top of their um, collective game. And this is what we just automatically give. And seeing that that is not the case anymore. I have a 22 year old, a 20 year old and an 18 year old. And we have sat in their classes because they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. We did it in junior high and high school, both me and my husband. And that showed like my husband told this one kid who turned around to talk to my son while he was sitting right next to my son. And he said, turn around. And that kid was shocked. Like, how could you say that to me? And I'm like, and I, so I think it's different. The, the, the culture, like my mom's side of the family is all white Mormons. So everything is quiet and respect. My father's side of the family is all Polynesians loud and, and boisterous, but incredibly respectful, or you get the slip up. So Mm -hmm. there's no, there's no room for any kind of deviation whatsoever in the respect area. So when I came to college and I'm this older student and there was one guy in my very first semester um, flipped out, flipped a desk and slammed open the door and went outside. I was, I was just talked about this in my sociology class. I was upset. I wanted to jump out there and help that teacher. If he was going to step to her, I was going to be right behind her. Like, no, what are you doing? This is a professor. You need to, slow your roll but you know it's a different uh generational gap there me being a gen xer and them being either gen z or gen um zennial you know where you you were taught to respect you know the teachers like you respected your policeman and the librarian and the doctors that was just kind of the way it was but then also to that to that point um you know it actually caused me not to speak up when I saw things <laughs> in the classroom that I didn't like, because I was like, oh, well, no, this is the person that's in charge. And like, I am the lowly student, so I just have to sit here and, and accept it. And and that's where I think, and it, I think it is um, you know, generational, where younger generation is like, no, I'm not gonna tolerate that nonsense. <laughs> and, and we'll speak up on that. Whereas like, I would have never done that, but I'll like, you know, stand up and, and, and speak out on some, something completely different that, you know, that maybe the younger generation, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, pick up on. I, I don't know, but I. Uh, well, I just want to say it, and when my high school, it was this thing where it became much too, they were uh, in my, like, from what I saw, it was usually the woman, like if it was like a female teacher who would always just be like, I can't do anything why are the boys talking back to me? And in this class in particular, she she like cried because this kid just kept saying, I, can I say shit? Because <laughs> yeah, he just kept talking shit. And I'm the type of person that if you talk shit, you'll get, but at the time I got scouted um, for go to a four year and I couldn't risk my, um, what's the thing? Um, like you have outstanding, like what you're doing. No, it's like your scholarship. Um, no, how you act. Like you, if you act reckless, you can like take and take your scholarship. Yeah, from you. Uh, and at the uh, time, I was like, I can't. I need to sit still and just like see this happen. And then it got to the point that uh, the teacher went, be, like, got out of the uh, class and started bawling her eyes. And I, and nobody said anything. No, nobody was saying anything to this kid, and that pissed me the fuck off. So I went up to this kid and this kid, me and already, me and him already were fighting before because of his attitude. And mind you, when I was younger, it was the same thing that we were going back. I would, I like, I lack confidence as a student. I, I used to get bullied. So I was used to get it stepped on when I was younger. And I, I got out of, I, when I started high school, I was like, fuck this. You want to step on me? Well, like, what's good? Like, it's just, it became that because you grow. And I think, yeah, you just grow out of it. And that's the thing in society, you either get like stepped on or, you know, who, who's the fittest kind of like, who's going to survive. So this kid, I went up to him and I'm like, what's wrong? Like, what's wrong with you? Why are you like this? And he just doesn't care. So even if we have different generations, it's still the same thing. 
it's on it depends on who like raised this kid like kids like i'm like from a hispanic household so i'm taught to like respect people unless they're talking back or being racist or any other thing then i can like stand my feet and like say something back but it's a teacher like come on and i felt so bad because she was like the the best teacher you could think of like she'd be like yeah my kids like and her like bawling imagine like seeing a teacher ball her eyes out and run i was just like all y'all all y'all seeing this like this is third period come on like um it's not good it's just like bad so it depends on who raised you too and how like you respect your elders when it comes to like teachers or the substitutes too because you could also like see how people look down on substitutes they're like they're not real teachers but it's like they're still in charge oh my gosh yes that's so true with the subs and like what you said (laughs) about the teachers and running out crying i I just immediately i flashed to my head a particular substitute teacher in my high school and that happened a few times with her and she was such a nice lady and yeah it's 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 it was sad it is sad I want to jump in and say I really am appreciating all these examples and kind of going back to what Jose was talking about with culture. I'm thinking of culture now with this conversation as being kind of the greatest and most uh, ubiquitous all around us teacher, right? We think this learning happens in this space that we call a classroom. But what I hear a lot of is there's so much learning in between the spaces, right? In between the classrooms, in between the meetings, in between the formal ways that we're trying to get something across, there's much more learning happening outside of that, outside of that. And the culture that we bring into the classroom that Jose was talking about is kind of, it's interesting because a lot of us, and as A students, you know this, it's like we're, we have this more focus on what is our culture. And as Jose said, it's not monolithic, but at the same time, there's a general sense of what these cultures are. And we're putting that parallel to the mainstream academic and mainstream culture. And that's hard to navigate, right? And that's why we have these programs, because that is, that's almost an impossible task to say, you got to be like where, where you're from, who you're from. But at the same time, you have to fit the mold of what this is. That is a balancing act. And maybe we could talk a little bit more about that balancing act and how that works with ACE in particular, and maybe the MANA program. I feel like... Especially for like me, I'm native Hawaiian. Like I grew up knowing that I have to respect people who are older than me. Like just the signs of respect, like even if they didn't necessarily deserve it, which I'm now learning later on in life. So respecting like my teachers is extremely important to me. And I know many other people in here just because if anyone's going to help me get through a certain subject, it's going to be them. Like they know way more than I will ever know. Um, They've put their whole life into this knowledge. And I think especially in my Mana classes, I'm learning more about my culture um, while also just getting a good education as well. Like my English teacher is the best English teacher I could ever ask for. She is absolutely incredible and um, she t- she believes in everybody and that they can go far in life, which is in- absolute that that's a support that I need, that we all need. And she treats us as if we are equal with her rather than wanting that respect. Respect is earned, not given. Uh, maybe Jocelyn, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I think uh, piggybacking off of what someone said earlier, it was talk. someone mentioned about your parents' background as well. And I think that really does that and your life at home, because some people are first generation high school or first generation American or first generation like in the classroom or if their parents didn't go to school. That really or sometimes people are just in school because they have to be. And that's why they act out and why they don't necessarily care. They'll talk, they'll be talkative, which I mean, that's fine if that's what they want to choose, I guess. But I think there's certain students or there's some students where their goal is just to get it over with. They just, they just, that's it. And they, they want to be 18. They want to get a job and then that's it. Or, and again, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but that's just, everybody's different. And that's why they are the way they are in the classroom. And I think most of us here, we 
we're focused on, we want to get this done. Like this is, we know we, we value that education. We value all those things. So it's harder to sit back and think like, why are they acting like this? Or like, they're just distracting because they are, they really are. And that's the big difference between college and high school as well. High school, everybody's like, you have to be there. In college, you don't have to be there. You're there because you want to, for the most part. But the people who are in college, or there's people who just want fast for like, I don't know, whatever reason people go to school for. Can you well, can you talk about, Jocelyn, the culture of the ACE program that you're in and how it may help you in understanding the larger college culture that you're also a part of? Oh, yeah, definitely. Rafi alone, um, it's so interesting to be a part of Rafi because most of these students are all foster youth. Um, we don't have the same support from our families like most students do. Um, we kind of create our own family with each other, with whatever students are around us, with the faculty, I mean, whoever's open to it. That right there, I think we value education a little bit more because of that, because and I think we kind of have that collective thought where it's like, okay, I don't have my family support. I need to get a good education. I need to get a good job. I need to support myself. And I think that thought is in there with us or from what I've seen it anyway. I have something to add to that too. Coming into college in 2018, I'd just been laid off. Remember when they laid off the whole government? Uh, I had been working for three years for an accountant as an assistant. And he said, I'm, I, I was working 40 hours a week. And he said, I'm sorry, but we have to lay you off. And I was like, well, I got four kids. That's not cool. And um, so I told my, I went home, told my husband, and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I really want to go back to college. I said, I love English. I love literature. I would love to do something with that. And he said, go ahead. Well, I got to um, Miracosta and I got with a counselor and they said, I, I, they noticed I needed all these things. And so she got me in touch with an EOPS worker. And um, uh, so I ended up taking that class, the counseling 100 class, just find out what I wanted to do. And it was probably the fourth week or something. And we went to find out um, with that group, what, uh, what everything pays or what was available out there for what you were getting with your degrees. And it was such an eye opener, like a light, like a beam of light. And, and just being in that counseling 100 class, I knew the second I pulled up that screen and I looked at all the qualifications for professor, I'm like, that's awesome. That's awesome. I can do that. Oh, I can do that. And then when I hit the button and saw how much they made, oh my God, okay, we're in poverty. My family, we, all of us live on a pot of land that was inherited, paid off 40 years ago. And there's like trailers and shacks and this house, 19, look at it. It's old as hell, 1943. Okay, it was when this cinder block piece of crap was built that the, the pipes are this big because it was for little Mexican people that had loose bowels, not big old white people that have. So we, our plumbing is crap. Everything's crap. Um, and so I'm like, screw it. Let's I'll go. I'll go back to school. But when I saw how much they made, I was like, oh, my gosh, I could we could, you know, your head explodes and you go, that's what I want. And so from that minute on four weeks into my first semester in college ever uh, at 45 or six or however old I was, and that EOPS um, counselor just showed me that everything is possible. It's absolutely possible. But I didn't know that coming in. I just came in blindly at a dumb luck, literally at three years at a job that I hated. It was the worst freaking IRS, you know, accountants suck. You know, I'm sorry. It was the worst freaking job I've ever had. And I've worked at Disneyland and that was amazing. And anyway, so I just can't, you know, I, I was like, what am I going to do? And I don't think if I hadn't gone into that EOPS um, class and had that counselor who just happened to be like, well, what are you interested in? And I was like, I don't freaking know. I'm old as hell. Just give me something I could do. And she was like, well, look at, there's all this stuff. And, uh, my goals went from my AA, oh, to my BA, to my master's and my PhD. And now I cannot not stop. Like I want to win a Nobel. I know I can win a Nobel. 
I know I can write something freaking awesome that is going to change everybody's life because of all my stupid experience that I've gone through my crazy ass life and my crazy ass kids and where I'm from. There's no way that anybody could stop me. And I don't think that that would have been anywhere in my imagination if it weren't for Mana, EOPS. I mean, I have so much to offer and I didn't know that, you know, I was a housewife for a long time before I went back to work because we had to eat. Yeah. You know, you're changing, you're changing my life right now. You're right. We're gonna. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I take over. I apologize. No, 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 no. There's, there's so much good stuff to unpack there, but I think we want to invite Ian into the conversation. Yeah. The, the cultures of your programs, Ian, what are, how, what well, do you, yeah, I mean, I mean, with, um, well, Definitely within um, um, the Umoja program within ACE, it, it has really been an incredible um, just awakening for me. I mean, to have an advisor there who really is supportive and encouraging and like uh, not physically holding my hand, but almost would be holding my hand through the process. Like someone, you know, it, it is a, it's really been, um, what's gotten me through and even i mean and literally got to the point of graduation saying no 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 like don't take that class you need this class if you want to graduate this semester <laughs> otherwise i would not be graduating this semester so i mean the program is really um that program was really just super fundamental and my and my overall success um, definitely and then we had natalie did you want to jump in um, yeah, I want to definitely like agree with everyone because like um, I just finally feel like my voice is being heard and I feel like empowered like I belong. Like growing up, I had like a really like strong like internal struggle as like a Mexican-American. Like my mom is white and my dad's Chicano, but I just I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. So I kind of felt alienated, even though like I grew up in a predominantly Mexican neighborhood and in school, like even though like half of the people were like Mexican or Latino, like we just didn't really talk about like our existence or maybe like the colorism or the classism that I experienced um, many times. And it kind of just shut me down. So I kind of felt like I had to act like more assimilated. And yeah, so I struggled with that for years and it wasn't until I started at New York Costa and joined Puente that I was able to have like those really deep discussions about like the experience of like being part of like two cultures at the same time. Two Mexican for the Americans and two American for the Mexicans. Yeah. I don't know Spanish either. And growing up, like everyone around me spoke Spanish and I was just like, oh yeah, me too. Like, I'm like, I don't know. I think you, I think you guys really, or you all bring up a really good point about like race and being that, that being part of, or just ethnicity being part of the culture, the classroom culture. And it's important that we call it out. Like, the fact is the majority of professors are white, like, you know, like in higher ed. And I mean, it doesn't, that, that makes a huge impact on the culture and, you know, not to discredit anybody, not to like say that their teaching style is any less or any more, but I do think that it's important that we, um, that we take responsibility within higher ed for the white culture impacting the classroom when, especially when, the community that's being served isn't predominantly white. And so that, I think that, that's so that's so that's so true. I wanted just to to say one thing that's really positive on that point is that just today um, the student senate has voted to support an amendment um, in order to have students be a part of the hiring committees for community colleges so that way they can be because that, so that way they can be a voice and make the, um, the staff a little bit more diverse. And so it, uh, it also reflects more of the student body. So like, I'm super, super, you know, excited um, about that. Um, that so, so progress is, is definitely coming. <laughs> awesome. And thank you both for those points. And Jose, maybe we can expand on that because I feel like this is my view, okay? This is an opinion here. I feel like when it comes to the program that you're in, Jose, with um, Uprise, and then also with Rafi that we've been talking about as well. These are these are two programs where I feel like there's a lot of invisibility still, and there's a lot of we, we don't we don't get to know those populations 
in the same way that we may with others, and obviously not in the same way we know dominant culture. So can you speak to the culture within the Uprise community and how that is helping people um, to maybe better integrate or understand this, this academic culture or even how, how to disrupt it in some important ways? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for, for creating the space to, to share about that. And for those listening, Uprise um, is an acronym and it stands for uh, Undocumented People Rising in Solidarity and Empowerment. And so that is basically the, like some, a lot of campuses will call it like the Dreamers program or the Undocumented Student program. So the Uprise culture, because of the nature of the undocumented status, is one that kind of lives behind, like, behind closed doors, right? Because people do not feel as comfortable all of the time, or most of the time, I should say, to disclose their immigration status. And I will say that being in Uprise uh, on our campus, it really makes a difference when it comes to being in the culture, because uh, and I would assert that this is the same for most ACE programs, although I don't want to assume anything, but it has you get that your culture matters and that, you know, they, for example, they, that the undocumented status doesn't define you or your success in college. And furthermore, that there are so many other people that are also walking the same or a similar journey as you are from all sorts of different cultural backgrounds. And I think that there's this assumption that all undocumented people are Mexican or all undocumented people are Latinx when that's very much not the case. And, um, but people will assume that. And therefore that also creates a different level of invisibility for anybody that's undocumented and doesn't fit into that box. Right. So if you're a white undocumented person, if you're a black undocumented person, Asian undocumented person, there tends to be less support, less resources, less allies, because you're, you become a little bit more invisible. And so I, I just think it's so important that we acknowledge the, the privilege that we do have uh, when it comes, or at least for me, I have to speak from my own experience. I, I really try to work on acknowledging the privilege as someone who can speak fluent English, who basically grew up here in the United States, take, you know, going, going to school. And even though I'm, I come from an undocumented status background, I still, there are still privileges that I get to benefit from, right? I have lighter skin. Um, um, I'm a male. The, um, and there are other there are other intersectionalities of my identity, like being part of the queer community, which sometimes can get can you know add to how we experience classrooms. So that's just a little bit about what I was what was kind of on my mind. And don't get me started on the preferred pronouns and professors not um, acknowledging those. Well, that's a little bit of a cliffhanger, but maybe that's a good place to pause part one. Mana, what did you think of this discussion? Wow. I loved how everyone was pointing out the importance of one's identity and how that impacts and creates the cl classroom culture. Like Cam was talking about how um, she's a native Hawaiian and how she was always taught to respect others and especially people who are older. So she was saying that she was taught to respect everyone, even though they didn't deserve that respect and how, you know, Jocelyn was saying that, you know, it really matters what your uh, parents' background is, whether you're a first gen college student or not. And, you know, how Natalie was talking about her experiences from a Mexican-American point of view. So I think I think that was really interesting how everyone was, you know, tapping in and, you know, sharing their personal narratives. Yeah, absolutely. I know when we had a, our conversation with faculty, we're always thinking about, like, as faculty, what can we do? How do we open up space? How do we be more inclusive? 
Um, and we know we're, we're cognizant of students bringing culture to the classroom, but I think we often fall into the trap of, I still have control and it's, it's my job to control the space and to open the space, et cetera. And it, it's a risk to sort of trust students with generating the classroom culture as well, right? To position them as agents of culture um, and, and to honor what they bring and really centralize what they bring. I think that's really interesting. And I wonder, like, is it rare um, or what do you all think? Do you think it's rare in the way that Nani was very um, assertive, right, with with um, how she's approaching instructors and how she's thinking about her education? Is it rare for professors to be maybe the complete opposite of that and, and say and, and invite that in from the very beginning? Or is it, as Curry's saying, like we, we do have this this uh, this idea of control. And so it's like, we need this to go the way that we planned out in order for us to deem this a successful class session, a successful semester, or have y'all experienced um, where a, an instructor comes in and fully invites the, the culture to be shaped uh, by the students and the participants in the room? Yeah. I would say I've seen both. I've seen um, instructors who are very welcoming and they're like, hey, you know, uh, we want this classroom culture to be developed in a very natural and organic way throughout time. So, you know, there is no forcing involved and no one's trying to say, hey, you know, it's like my way or the highway. And, you know, there were points where instructors were very specific and they were like, hey, you know, I'm setting the tone and it is what it is. But I just feel like that despite the the method that you're going with this, you know, whether you're leaning towards an organic way or you're just mandating it or, you know, setting that tone, it'll change throughout time because, you know, it's like this dynamic that you can't control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've often taught the same class in the same semester similar hours during the week and one class is so different from the other class right and i'm always like how does this happen like what, what is, <laughs> i'm doing the same thing um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and even more so than that i teach uh, uh introduction to sociology for you know general population all the students uh and then i teach it also for the mono program and it is so different, right? And, and it's different by design, but then it's also just different in the way the classroom feels when you do have a bunch of folks who identify as um, Pacific Islander, Polynesian, Asian, and then some that aren't, but are, are there to learn more about those cultures. It is just a, such, such a different experience in a different culture. And to your point, Curry, that you said in the same semester, but I just think semester to semester and academic year to academic year, we're getting a different generation of students that had different high school experiences. There are universal things like was talked about, like Danny, you know, was talking about high school and, and the parts that are very challenging about high school. And, and I think that persists over time, but there are so many different other aspects of K through 12 and high school culture that change. And those changes are brought right into our classroom um, when we get these students in their first and second years of college. Right. And so that's where, if I think back to what I kind of what I where I, what I began with, just this sort of sense of I'm the teacher, I'm in control, I'm the one that's going to sort of steer this ship. That's a source of disruption, right? When I get students from different educational backgrounds, different expectations, different knowledges, um, uh, uh, how I include or don't include those things, or whether or not I anticipate them, right, can can be a source of disruption. I'm thinking of the question you asked, Sean, in really concrete terms, and I'm thinking about. Uh, a class that begins with the syllabus and here are the policies, here are the outcomes, here's our schedule, here's your book. Uh, we're gonna start thinking about whatever next time we meet, see you later, right? So that's, that's a very like, here's the plan, let's follow it beginning versus a class that, and I've observed my colleagues do this really, really well, a class that begins with like note cards passed out where everybody writes their name, writes a, like, you know, their pronouns, writes, you know, their goals for the class. And then the, the first day is then initiated by that, by who are we, uh, uh, what, what are we gonna be like together? Then we get to the syllabus. So that contextualizes the syllabus, whereas before that kind of control of the syllabus contextualizes the community. So that might be one way to think about that difference. Yeah. 
What do you think about that starting out of class, Mana? Uh, I I always like personalized learning. I think it, it it's very inclusive and it lets the students know like, hey, we see you, we hear you. And this is not just like a strict classroom that's only going to be focused on the material that's going to be presented. So for me, I think every, I think most people feel like that and they, and, you know, they want to be heard and they want to be a part of that culture that that that's out there, whether it's being created by the instructor or it's just being created by the entire classroom. So, you know, I'm just wondering, do you guys as faculty care whether, you know, if you're the one who's creating it or do you guys always kind of let the students take control and create it their own way? Yeah. I think that's a that's a really uh, interesting question because there's there's a part of me that says I do want to make this a culture that is um, our own in the classroom. But even in that, am I, I I am saying that I'm I'm steering here, right? And I'm the one that's going to make that part happen. I have to do something to make that happen. And uh, we've talked about this before on previous episodes. Student, uh, most students, I would say, come in with the expectation that I am the person who facilitates that and makes that happen. Um, so I don't know if we can get to a place that's purely organic, purely coming from the people in the room, because there has to, there doesn't have to, but it feels like there has to be some sort of initiation in the facilitate, uh, uh, initiation of facilitation to get that rolling. And, and even when you do that, you're already framing it to look a particular way. Yeah. And I think along those lines, Mana, I really feel like my, my job as an instructor is to be intrusive, right? And, and so, and, and the reason for that is because if I'm not, and I just assume the classroom is a level playing field, then all of the assumptions I and my students bring in about you know, uh, what success means, um, um, the way that whiteness contextualizes the classroom. If I'm not in there disrupting that or intruding upon that, then I just, I, I just reproduce the status quo, right, of, of what our society is grappling with right now. And th this makes me think of what, what Jose left off on, right, um, and, and just how well, you know, um, ACE programs like Uprise, how well they disrupt these assumptions about status quo, um, how they disrupt, um, um, you know, invisibility, how they call into visibility uh, minoritized communities and stuff. And so I guess, so that's, that's the dilemma, right, Mana? It's like, I want to have, I want to create space for students to organically construct, you know, not just form a cool, awesome community where we're all jiving together, but construct their own knowledge, right? I mean, especially in a comp class. Um, but I also want to intrude on that when, you know, one student is only talking and it happens to be a white male and other students are quiet, you know, et, et cetera. So it's, it's, yeah, it, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that, you know, it's not a matter of being like black or white. It's like that gray area in between. So I think a lot of people think that it should be either one where, when in fact it's not that. So, yeah. I think there's always limits too on, um, when you're creating a culture of this idea of creating an inclusive culture, right? We say that, but then um, there are definitely elements that like, like Curry's talking about that can be, can, can perpetuate inequity or even, you know, create hostility and, and a toxic environment. And certainly those are not going to be our aim, but I guess when we're saying inclusivity, it's also recognizing where we're, we're also, uh, mindful that certain elements uh, we're going to try to either prevent or talk about in a way to get us all to a mutual understanding of what inclusivity means for that particular class. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's well said. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, what's important here in this conversation as we continue it on and we hear part two is, uh, you know, when is this established, right? When is the uh, classroom culture established? And um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what students have to say about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Cool. Right on. Thanks, everybody. Good to see you. Thank you. Bye. Students and faculty engage topics. Dangerous discussions need a safe space. 
This episode is supported by the Miracosa Foundation's Innovation Grant. The Save Topics podcast is produced and engineered by Kelly Barnett. James Garcia handles promotion, student recruitment, and research. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and savetopics.podbean.com. Find us on Apple and Spotify. Please rate and subscribe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>